Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Millions of Americans may have missed their COVID-19 stimulus payments and are still eligible. But a new report says time is running out if they want to collect. As Philadelphia is on pace to break last year's record murder rate, a Philadelphia Democrat jumped ship to endorse a Republican in the Pennsylvania race for the U.S. Senate. The Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine was not tested on preventing transmission. That's what a Pfizer executive admitted to European lawmakers during a parliament session. Can California set product standards that effectively regulate businesses in other states? The Supreme Court hears arguments from the pork industry about an animal welfare law. Remember the stimulus checks? Well, millions of Americans are still eligible for COVID-19 relief payments, according to the Government Accountability Office. But time is running out. And today's Jessica Beatty has more on the new report. Millions of Americans may not yet have received their COVID-19 relief payments, according to the Government Accountability Office, or GAO. Its new report Tuesday said multiple groups of people may have had difficulty receiving the payments because they were difficult to contact. That includes people who have never filed a tax return, first-time filers, homeless people, and Americans who don't have access to bank accounts or the Internet. The GAO says up to 10 million eligible Americans may not yet have received their relief payments. During pandemic lockdowns, both the Biden and Trump administrations delivered $931 billion in relief funds to help struggling Americans and businesses. The GAO report says the Treasury and IRS undertook sweeping efforts to publicize the payments. But part of the challenge was they only had data on taxpayers who previously filed taxes. The Treasury and IRS reached out to around 9 million people to let them know they were eligible. But the report says as of June, the IRS had no plans to reach out anymore. With high inflation, those who missed the checks may welcome the relief. However, some experts blame President Biden's nearly $2 trillion American Rescue Plan for making inflation worse. When Biden took office, inflation was at 1.4 percent. But by August of this year, it had soared to 8.3 percent. In March, four economists at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco estimated that the Rescue Plan pushed inflation up by about three percentage points. So what can you do if you did not get your relief payments? The GAO says taxpayers who missed the April 15th filing deadline have until October 17th to do so. And Americans with little or no income who aren't required to pay taxes have until November 15th to complete a simplified tax return. Then they can get their stimulus checks. Jessica Beatty and TD News. A Philadelphia Democrat has decided to endorse Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz in the Pennsylvania race for U.S. Senate. He cited concerns over public safety and crime in his city. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. Tom Knox, a former deputy mayor under Democrat Ed Rendell, says he's a lifelong Democrat. However, he crossed party lines and now opposes the Democratic nominee for Senate, current Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. 
Knox stated he has met John Fetterman and personally likes him, but that Philadelphia has become increasingly dangerous. He believes John Fetterman's policies on crime will make things much worse. With 416 homicides so far in 2022, Philadelphia is on pace to exceed last year's record of 562 murders. The former candidate for Governor Knox criticized Fetterman for what he sees as a soft-on-crime agenda. He says his push to release more dangerous criminals and promote heroin injection sites in their neighborhoods are radical ideas that would make their streets less safe. However, John Fetterman is unconvinced of relying on Oz to tackle crime. What is Dr. He goes on to label Oz as being out of touch with the concerns of the common man. Isn't it ironic that a guy with 10 gigantic mansions thinks that 725 an hour is still okay? In a video his campaign posted on Twitter, Oz in turn attacks Fetterman for having a poor work ethic. He criticized his low attendance at lieutenant governor functions and city council meetings, repeatedly calling him a no-show. So what did he show up for? Parole meetings to let murderers out on our streets. Meanwhile, the stroke that Fetterman suffered in May has become a key point in the campaign. A news correspondent who interviewed him reported he still has a hard time understanding conversations. She said a monitor was needed so he could read the questions. She also shared that he had some challenges with speech. Fetterman dismissed the criticism, saying he hasn't lost any memories, that he just misses a word sometimes or mushes two words together. With just weeks to go before the November 8th election, Oz has cut Fetterman's one sizable polling lead to 3.7 points. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. President Joe Biden on Tuesday said he has great confidence in his son. The president defended Hunter Biden over allegations that he lied on a background check before buying a handgun in 2018. And federal investigators reportedly have enough evidence to charge Hunter with tax crimes. Um, personally and politically, um, how do you react to that? This thing about a gun, I didn't know anything about it, but turns out that when he made my application to purchase a, a gun. What happened was he stayed, I guess you had get asked, I don't guess, you get asked the question, are you on drugs, you use drugs? He said no. And he wrote about saying no in right. his book. So I, 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 I've, I've got confidence in my son. I love him and uh, he's on a straight and narrow and he has been for a couple years now and I'm just so proud of him. According to the Washington Post, Hunter Biden answered no to the question of whether he illegally used any drug or controlled substance. The question appears on the firearms transaction record that needs to be filled out when people buy a firearm. Lying on the form is a federal violation punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Hunter Biden wrote in his memoir that he was battling with addiction in 2018. The decision of whether to change charge Hunter Biden rests with U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a holdover from the Trump administration, who is overseeing the investigation of the president's son. A Pfizer executive is admitting that the drug maker's COVID-19 vaccine was not tested on preventing transmission. This was during a meeting of the European Parliament. Let's take a look. European Parliament member Rob Ruse pressed a Pfizer executive about the company's COVID-19 vaccine during a Parliament session on Tuesday. Here's a clip of that exchange. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? 
No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. The lawmaker who represents the Netherlands posted the exchange on Twitter, which has generated over 5 million views by Tuesday afternoon. In it, he also spoke out against vaccine passports. This removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. This is scandalous. Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now this turned out to be a cheap lie. This should be exposed. Back in late 2020, the FDA wrote that there was no data available to determine whether the vaccine would prevent transmission of the virus or for how long. The agency said, quote, at this time, data are not available to make a determination about how long the vaccine will provide protection, nor is there evidence that the vaccine prevents transmission. And around the same time, Pfizer CEO Albert Berla said his firm was not certain if those who receive its vaccine will be able to transmit COVID-19 to other people. Initially, a number of officials in the United States and around the world claimed that COVID-19 vaccines could prevent transmission. Later, Dr. Fauci, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky and others pivoted to say the vaccine prevents severe disease, hospitalization and death from COVID-19. Next, we hear from an expert about Pfizer's recent admission that the company didn't test if its COVID-19 vaccine stops transmission. He outlines common practice and discusses what information the public was given and the policies that were based on it. Joining us now is Dr. Paul Alexander, an epidemiologist focusing on clinical epidemiology and evidence-based medicine. Paul is a former WHO consultant and was a senior advisor to the U.S. Department of HHS during the pandemic. Thank you for making the time today, Paul. Thanks very much for having me, sir. Is it common procedure for a major pharmaceutical company like Pfizer to distribute a vaccine to the public as quickly as possible at the expense of not testing its effectiveness of preventing transmission? Uh, no, uh, vaccine company, this is not a, a, a regular practice for them because they are supposed to actually conduct the study in such a way to be as clear as possible, to exclude harms, to show the effectiveness, the efficacy in the ideal vaccine trial setting, and also to show that it is designed to do what it was supposed to do. You bring a vaccine to stop infection, to stop replication of the pathogen, and to also stop transmission. If a vaccine is brought that does not stop transmission, then it's moot, it's junk. There's no reason to bring it. It doesn't work. Right, of course, vaccines are there for that particular reason, along with preventing severe hospitalization and death. And now Dr. Anthony Fauci said in May 2021 that when someone is vaccinated, they prevent the spread of the virus. But Dr. Burke said there was evidence in 2020 that vaccinated individuals could still transmit the virus. Do you think the public has been given accurate information about vaccines from the start? No. The CDC, the NIH, the FDA, all of the alphabet agencies in the United States have misled and deceived the public from day one. We actually had evidence from around mid-2021 from Kawatal, uh, the Ho Chi Minh City Vietnam, Vietnam study, the bond stable outbreak in the United States that was showing that the vaccinated person was getting infected rapidly and actually transmitting virus. So that we knew this, but the CDC and the NIH and the FDA just kept pressing on with emergency use authorizations and misled the public. For over a year now, we knew 
that the vaccinated becomes infected and then transmits the pathogen. This was never a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This was clearly very early on, a pandemic of the vaccinated. But the goal was to push the vaccine and to deceive and to deceive. And now we're getting this evidence that the Pfizer knew clearly that it did not stop transmission. So therefore, the vaccine mandates, the vaccine passports, all of these were moot. These should not have been brought or even considered. If it does not stop transmission, what is the goal? What is the objective of giving the vaccine? None. And you talk about these mandates. Now, under the Biden administration, the public was initially told for many months that vaccinated individuals couldn't transmit the virus. Tell us, how was public policy impacted by what we now know is a false pretense? We have the CDC and the NIH just deceiving the public. They were lying to the public all along. All of the policies on the vaccines, they knew that the vaccine was not stopping infection, and they knew that the vaccine was not stopping transmission. Laying off all of the nurses in New York, firing people, stopping their livelihoods from earning a living. Listen, the public needs to understand, we in the Trump administration, we had data coming from the states very early on, just from the COVID pandemic, that people were committing suicides just from the response. I can tell you now, with the rollout of the vaccine, how many people have died in the Biden administration from these vaccines. The vaccine does not confer protection. Really do appreciate your perspective on this. Dr. Paul Alexander, epidemiologist, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. More on the COVID-19 vaccines. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will not release its review of post-vaccination heart inflammation. The agency is saying federal law prevents it from releasing the results. The CDC has been statistically analyzing post-vaccination reports of myocarditis, a form of heart inflammation. The reports were submitted to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. The CDC told the Epic Times that the summaries, quote, are considered medical records which are withheld in full-form disclosure. The CDC pointed to the Public Health Service Act from 1944, which says that vaccine injury reports and identifying information can only be given to the vaccinated person or a legal representative. The agency also said that information is available through the CDC website without details that would identify patients. The president of the National Vaccine Information Center says refusing to release the data raises concerns about transparency. The Supreme Court heard arguments yesterday about a California animal welfare law. The case could undermine the power of states to regulate a range of issues within their own borders. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. In 2018, voters in California decided to limit certain meat sales. They passed a proposition that sets a minimum space requirement for confined animals and prohibits sales of pork, veal, and eggs if the standard isn't met. Now, the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation are seeking to invalidate the measure. It is a common sense measure that allows animals' basic abilities to open their wings, mother pigs to stand up and turn around in their life. I mean, this is not, these are not extreme ideas. The pork industry has defended the size of the cages as humane and necessary for animal safety. Proponents of the measure say California has the right to set standards for products sold to its consumers, regardless of where they are produced. But industry groups have argued that it violates the U.S. Constitution's Commerce Clause. 
we will not have 50 states anymore. We'll have four, you know, four huge states that control all economic activity across the country. And that's not the way the, the country was set up to operate. Congress has the power to regulate interstate commerce, but now California requires out-of-state producers to comply or face a statewide sales ban. A legal doctrine called the Dormant Commerce Clause bars states from passing laws discriminating against commerce in other states. In a legal filing, pork producers argue that California may be violating that doctrine. They say it would increase costs for pig farmers. Most pig farmers are located outside of California. The state produces just 0.1% of the nation's pork. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, three fishermen are rescued by helicopter after their boat sinks in the Gulf of Mexico. They spent more than 24 hours in the water and had to fend off sharks. We have that and more just after this break. Investigators in Georgia say they've seized evidence that could move forward a case involving a missing toddler. The 20-month-old was last seen at his home in the Savannah area. Police returned there Monday morning to search it. They say they're analyzing what they found and could open a criminal investigation. The toddler has been missing since October 5th. And Los Angeles police are asking for the public's help in finding a suspect seen on video Tuesday allegedly abducting a 14-year-old victim. The department said the victim was later sexually assaulted. According to police, officers were called to investigate the sexual assault of a minor by an unknown suspect at a park. Security footage released by the LAPD shows a man leading a small person through a residential neighborhood. He has his left arm over the person's shoulder and his right arm pressed toward the person's body. Investigators say, quote, the suspect threatened the victim with a weapon, forced them into a bathroom, and sexually assaulted the victim. Next, a story of endurance and timely rescue. Fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico had to fight off sharks after their boat sank Saturday. The Coast Guard couldn't find them until one took action. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the harrowing story. When the three fishermen's boat capsized in the Gulf of Mexico, they clung to a makeshift float. Fong Lei told ABC News that he swam away to search for help. What he found was a cell phone signal. He was able to send a Google map of his location just before his battery died. They had been in the water since about 10 a.m. Saturday. Sharks showed up Sunday morning. One man said one bit the front of his life vest. Four black-tipped sharks about four to six feet long were circling and harassing them, even as they were pulled from the water. They were too tired to even be panicking. They were very grateful to get on board the boat, get out of the water, get away from the wildlife. Um, but they, I mean, they were honestly too exhausted to even be expressing panic. The helicopter rescue crew said both boaters had deep cuts on their hands. One was missing the tip of his middle finger. When Lay sent his location, the Coast Guard was able to swoop in. Soon, they located his friends, too. In the back of the helicopter, once that first guy came out of the water, he had no idea if, if his other two friends were alive or dead. So when he, when he saw us hoist up his second buddy, all they did was hug and embrace, and they were just, they were just uh, extremely happy to be together, and then they saw their third buddy come up. Coast Guard boats, planes, and a helicopter had spent hours searching an area larger than Rhode Island. Then the screenshot arrived, and the command center was able to locate the men. Everything was uh, had been rehearsed and practiced before with this exact boat crew and that exact boat. So 
this is what we do. You know, we train uh, twice a week, usually with boat crew, and it, it proved to be fruitful. After spending more than 24 hours in the water, the men were finally rescued. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Over in Pennsylvania, a dangerously high level of carbon monoxide at a daycare sent more than 30 children and workers to the hospital. Investigators said the leak was caused by a malfunctioning heating unit and a blocked venting system. Emergency crews responded to a 911 call about an unconscious child on Tuesday morning at the Happy Smiles Learning Center in Allentown. It turns out there was a carbon monoxide leak. 32 children and staff were rushed to hospitals. Another 25 children and staff were treated at the scene. All are listed in stable condition now. Some patients had as much as 10 times the normal carbon monoxide level. The children treated range in age from several months to 10 years old. The building did not have carbon monoxide detectors. Now, the daycare owner said she will have them installed. A new city ordinance requires carbon monoxide detectors in childcare facilities by October 27th, and legislation requiring detectors in child care centers statewide recently cleared the state Senate. The bill is awaiting action in the House. Over in southwest Florida, communities are still recovering from the damage caused by Hurricane Ian. Volunteers from all over the country are handing out supplies. They're handing out water, ice, food, and other supplies to impacted residents. Echo Fine Properties is a South Florida real estate company. It recently delivered nearly 2,000 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to pantries in Fort Myers, Cape Coral, and Pine Island. The company's president, along with a team of over 75 agents, asked the community to bring in supplies to make the sandwiches. As of Tuesday, the company says they have made approximately 4,000 additional sandwiches. They plan to make another trip to Florida's West Coast on Wednesday to deliver them. California is expanding its effort to eliminate illegal marijuana growing. It's an effort by the state's top prosecutor to help California's four-year-old legal marijuana industry. The state blames the illegal grow sites for environmental pollution, specifically the pesticides that have spread into downstream water supplies. The eradication program is also four years old and is the largest in the U.S. This year, it confiscated almost a million marijuana plants. The state plans to expand the program into a year-round effort. State Attorney General Rob Bonta said the workers tending the marijuana growing fields are victims of human trafficking and are not benefiting from the work. He says they live alone in squalid conditions for months with no way out. Authorities have tried and failed to target the cartels behind the grows. The state's legal marijuana market has suffered since the illegal plants are cheaper for buyers. Japanese carmaker Honda will be building a battery factory in Ohio. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine praised the deal, saying it will bring economic benefits to the state. These batteries will be produced by your fellow Ohioans. They'll be made in a brand new $3.5 billion electric vehicle manufacturing company. This new facility, this new facility will bring at least 2,200 new jobs to Ohio. The planned factory is part of Honda's plan to turn the state into its North American electric vehicle hub. The company also plans to invest $700 million and add 300 jobs at three of its own Ohio factories. This will prepare Honda to start making electric vehicles and components. The battery plant will be built jointly with South Korean tech giant LG Energy Solution. It could see a total investment of $4.4 billion. 
The plant site is off Interstate 71 in Fayette County, about 40 miles from the state capital of Columbus. We're learning more about the Navy SEAL candidate who died during basic training. Kyle Mullen died after completing what's called Hell Week during the Navy SEALs training program in February. Now we've learned from a Navy investigation released Wednesday that the 24-year-old died of bacterial pneumonia. The report includes details of Mullen's death with possible signs that were missed between medical caregivers and observers. Since then, the Navy has adopted some process changes in the midst of criticism over the intensity of the training program. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, a Chinese Communist Party police station has opened in New York City, and U.S. officials want answers. Russia and North Korea grow closer, especially since Russia has sought support while it wages war in Ukraine. That and more when we return with NTD News. Financial consulting network Deloitte China has to pay $20 million for audit fraud. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission found the company didn't comply with audit requirements. The SEC says Deloitte China tried to create the appearance that it tested clients' financial statements, but, quote, there was no evidence in the audit file that it had in fact done so. The SEC chair says Deloitte China fell woefully short of professional auditing requirements. In response, Deloitte China agreed to pay the $20 million fine and to take extensive corrective measures. In some cases, Chinese companies have avoided proper inspection to hide their strong connections to the Chinese Communist Party. Five Chinese companies were delisted from the New York Stock Exchange recently. An expert told the Epic Times that the delistings were a desperate move to hide the fact that these enterprises are fully controlled by the CCP. Onto a Chinese police station in New York City, and it's not just in the U.S. The Chinese Communist Party has police posts in at least 21 countries. Officials are worried about the regime extending their law enforcement globally. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. The Chinese Communist Party's long arm appears to be reaching further into the United States. A Chinese police station has been spotted right in the heart of New York City. It's one of more than 100 similar law enforcement offices the CCP has set up worldwide. Its presence was greeted with outrage from U.S. lawmakers on Friday. They wrote to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Secretary of State Antony Blinken, saying there should be no room for the CCP to exercise law enforcement on U.S. soil. What's more, according to the New York Post, a U.S. charity is reportedly behind the Manhattan-based CCP Police Division, and that charity is blacklisted by the Internal Revenue Service. The police outpost is called Fuzhou Police Overseas Service Station. It's located inside the headquarters of the American Chengli Association, or ACA, a nonprofit. The IRS revoked the ACA's tax-exempt status in May after three years of failing to file. According to the ACA's website, the nonprofit provides what it calls a social gathering place for Chinese nationals. But some of the photos on its website seem to suggest close ties with the communist regime. Among the photos is a certificate of appreciation from the Chinese consulate in New York for its support of the CCP. Earlier this year, the ACA cooperated with the CCP's police bureau to set up the so-called police service station in New York. 
The program allegedly helped Chinese nationals renew their identification cards and driver licenses during the pandemic. But some say these overseas policing offices serve more sinister purposes. According to human rights-focused NGO Safeguard Defenders, these stations spy on overseas dissenters and detain or forcibly return them to China. The organization reports that between April 2021 and July 2022, more than 200,000 overseas nationals were forcibly returned to China. A spokeswoman for Safeguard Defenders described the overseas stations as illegal under international law. She told Fox News that she thinks it shows how brazen the CCP is getting and how little regard they have for other governments. The American Changli Association and New York City government have not responded to our inquiries about the police station by airtime. These overseas Chinese police stations aren't limited to New York City. In Dublin, Ireland, newspaper The Irish Times caught another one on camera. A sign outside the building reads, Fuzhou Overseas Police Service Station. Fuzhou is a city in southern China. Authorities there say they've opened 30 police services stations in 21 countries. Other Chinese cities also operate their own stations. The newspaper reported that the Irish government is reaching out to the Chinese embassy for answers and that discussions are ongoing. North Korea is cashing in on Moscow's need for friends. As Russia's isolation over its war in Ukraine continues to grow, it has seen increasing value in its relationship with North Korea. Here's how relations began for the two nations and how they are becoming closer. Communist North Korea was formed in the early days of the Cold War with backing from the Soviet Union. North Korea later battled the South and its Western allies to a stalemate in the 1950-1953 Korean War. The country was heavily reliant on Soviet aid for decades. When the Soviet Union collapsed in the 1990s, it sparked a deadly famine in the North. Pyongyang's leaders have tended to use Beijing and Moscow to balance each other. But Kim Jong-un has had relatively cold relationships with both countries after they joined the U.S. in imposing strict sanctions over North Korea's nuclear tests. In 2019, Kim and Putin met for the first time in a summit after Kim took steps to repair ties. Since then, Russia has joined China in opposing new sanctions, vetoing a U.S.-led push in May and publicly splitting the United Nations Security Council since it started punishing Pyongyang in 2006. North Korea has reciprocated with public support for Moscow after Russia invaded Ukraine in February. It was one of the only countries to recognize the independence of breakaway Ukrainian regions. Some political analysts have theorized that this mutual support has ushered in a new geopolitical reality. The U.S. has said that Russia approached North Korea about buying millions of rounds of ammunition and other weapons to refill its stockpile. Both countries have denied that claim. The vast majority of North Korea's trade goes through China. But Russia is a potentially important partner, especially for oil, experts say. Moscow has denied breaking U.N. sanctions, but Russian tankers have been accused of helping evade caps on oil exports to North Korea. Trade and human contact between the countries came to a nearly complete halt when the health crisis began, as North Korea imposed strict border lockdowns. Though local government reports seem to indicate that some of those restrictions will soon be lifted. 
Russian officials have even discussed employing North Korean workers in the breakaway regions in Ukraine, despite a ban on arrangements like that by the UN Security Council. Still to come, French gas stations are running out of fuel as strikes at oil refineries over better pay drag on. Energy and food prices are hurting families across Europe. In Spain, parents of twins and triplets feel the cost of living crisis particularly hard. More shortly here on NTD News Today. The French government says it's ready to intervene to end oil refinery strikes. A third of the country's gas stations are running low, and it's making life difficult for French motorists. One trade union threatened war against President Macron if he forces refinery employees back to work. French people continue to struggle to fill up their tanks as union-led strikes that are blocking refineries in the country drag on. Whenever motorists struck gold in finding some rare petrol, it causes a queue of cars to form in the street. It's catastrophic. We can't move around. I work close by, but for those who work far from their homes, it's catastrophic. I hope it's going to be sorted out. This driving school instructor said he had to travel more than 60 miles this week out of Paris to fill up his tank. It's very annoying to have to fall in astronomical queues just to purchase a product that's part of daily life. It prevents many people from working. Authorities say that almost a third of petrol stations nationwide face shortages of at least one fuel product. Panic buying by some people is exacerbating the problem. Union members on Tuesday continued their weeks-long blockades of French petrol refineries and depots. Workers on strike insisted on their demands for higher salaries to giants Total Energies and ExxonMobil. In southern France, around 100 unionists on strike picketed outside refineries, with some burning wooden pallets and carrying union flags. We, of course, share the suffering of every individual, and like everyone, we understand that one needs a car to go to work, for leisure, or even just for medical appointments. But then the staff exercising their right to strike today are not here to disrupt. They are only here to show their discontent to uphold the real necessity to be able to live decently with their jobs. The industrial action comes as workers across Europe demand higher salaries to cope with struggling inflation and a cost-of-living crisis. But the refinery strike is one of the longest in Europe since the cost-of-living crisis intensified this year. The walkouts have forced more than 60% of national refining capacity offline and blocked distribution from fuel depots. President Emmanuel Macron is under mounting pressure to act. The French government said on Tuesday it stood ready to intervene to end the strike. But unionists said the move would only add fuel to the fire and threatened war. Rising prices from energy to food are hurting families across Europe. In Spain, parents of twins and triplets are feeling the impact of the economic crisis particularly hard. And today's Andrew Thomas has more. Triplets Laura, Jose and Marta are attending an event in Madrid for families with twins and triplets. They're used to questions about their similar looks. For mom and dad, the memory of discovering that they were expecting three babies is still fresh. 
Yes, they warn you that it is not normal for all three embryos to remain, but it can happen. Of course you say, well, I don't think they will remain. You know how doctors are. But as Julia says, of course you get the shock when they tell you that all three have remained. In Spain, over 4% of children are twins or triplets. According to the Madrid Association of Multiple Births, the figure is well above the European average. The organization's annual gathering is returning after a three-year pause due to the pandemic. There are lots of activities for the kids, but the highlight of the day is the picnic. For the parents, it's a chance to share stories of the joys and challenges of multiple births. The cost of living crisis is on the minds of many parents attending the event. There are many expenses because in the end, if you have kids separately, whether it is the boy or girl, you recycle and reuse. But here, from the outset, it's all at once. And double buggy, which is very expensive, two cribs, everything for two. 25 euros every three days for my daughters to eat, plus daycare centers, the school canteen. You have to pay everything in full. You have to pay in full, so there's no help. Through the Madrid Association of Multiple Births, parents can buy basics like diapers and milk at a discount. They can also take classes on things like helping babies sleep or how to breastfeed too at the same time. Above all, the association promotes connections so parents don't become isolated at home. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, a hidden platform in London's underground subway network, not so secret anymore. Visitors can go on tours of the abandoned tunnels from nearly a century ago. A Swedish company makes electric-powered boats. The latest model comes with a price tag of around $100,000 and will be available next April. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. London Transport Museum is offering a new tour this week. It's taking visitors underground to explore hidden sections of a tube station that haven't been seen by the public for nearly a century. Hidden London is a new tour organized by the London Transport Museum. It will take visitors around hidden parts of Shepherd's Bush Station in central London. Behind this door, passageways haven't been seen by the public for nearly a century. This was the original terminus of the Central London Railway, which opened on the 30th of July, 1900. And these passageways is of, of what people would have seen when they came to the station originally. So you've got these beautiful white glass tiles, original Victorian glass tiles that are about this thin, and they're still here on the wall 122 years later. Originally built in the late 19th century, the station was thought to become one of the busiest of the capital, as it was a commuting solution for people living in the west suburbs of London and working in the city. It was built with a large budget at the time and is the third oldest deep tube railway. 
Today, it's not even in the top 20 stations. And so it's got a really interesting and fascinating history and one that we haven't explored before on any of our other Hidden London tours. So I'm really excited for people to be able to come and witness something completely different from what we've done before. Now discontinued, the old passageways are used for storage, but also as a ventilation system to cool down the notoriously warm tube. There's a lot of wind coming from that direction. That's because this is a ventilation shaft for the central line. So fresh air is being pulled from over there, rushing down this way, and goes right down onto the platform of the underground. By leaving the platforms, the trains create a vacuum effect, which brings in fresh air from the surface, going through the empty passageways. This is purpose-built from 1972, providing passengers with cool and fresh air down on the platform in the underground. Through the vents, visitors will be able to look at two passengers waiting on the platform without being seen. From the platform, it's impossible to tell what's behind the vents. Another curiosity of Shepherd's Bush Station are its platforms. It was refurbished in the 1930s in order to lengthen the platforms, but the only available space to do that was on the eastern end, and they already had some infrastructure there. So this is the only platform or platforms on the deep tube that turns from two platforms into an island. The ticket for the tour Shepherd's Bush suburbs to the city are £44 each, and dates in October are already sold out. The tour lasts about 70 minutes. Big Ben's chimes are getting a test run. It's the first time the bells have been heard for a sustained period since renovation work began in 2017. Once the tests are completed, Parliament will announce a specific date for the return of Big Ben's ringing. The bells were tested yesterday and will be tested again today from 3 p.m. until tomorrow morning. The five-year restoration of the Elizabeth Tower cost almost $90 million. The work included repairing cracks in the masonry, leaks, erosion, and severe rusting of the metalwork. Scaffolding was removed from the tower this spring. A Swedish company is selling an electric-powered boat, which it hopes will cut pollution. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the $100,000 watercraft. Exshore began working on electric boats in 2016. The company launched its first vessel in late 2020. We hope to get more peers because we need to transition this market quickly. It's a very dirty industry, as I mentioned. There's more than 3.5 million leisure boats out there that needs to be replaced quickly. Even though we can produce lots of boats, we won't be able to replace all of them. So we want more peers coming into this uh, segment. Now, the company has released its newest vessel, the Exshore One. This latest model has a starting price of around $100,000 comparisons are being drawn with Tesla. We don't want to compare ourselves to Tesla, we want to be ex-sure. Uh, having said that, uh, I mean, producing a high-performing electric boat at price parity is very similar to when Tesla produced the Model 3 and launched that, so very pleased about that. At Exshore, the mission is to make the boating industry free from fossil fuels, both in terms of using the boat and manufacturing them. We have set a very ambitious target to be carbon net zero, to, to be able to release our first carbon net zero boat by 2030. So in essence that means that every part of the production chain has to be produced with um, fossil free energy. 
Carl Garm is a professor of naval architecture, also known as naval engineering. For him, nothing will ever beat using a simple sailboat in terms of sustainability. Is it worth um, going high speed at sea for pleasure? Uh, th that's um, uh, one question that you, of course, could, uh, could ask yourself. The first orders will be delivered to customers in the second quarter of 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. United Airlines plans to expand its transatlantic flying next summer. United's summer 2023 schedule will include three new destinations, Dubai, Malaga, Spain, and Stockholm, Sweden. The airline said its transatlantic schedule will be 10% larger compared to 2022 and 30% more than in 2019. United also says it is redoubling efforts to prevent a repeat of the chaos travelers to Europe experienced this year. Understaffing at European airports produced misery for travelers, including hours-long lines at airports from London to Amsterdam. United said it's working very closely with European airports to ensure they can handle their passengers and new flights. NASA has set a new launch attempt date for the Artemis One mission from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. The uncrewed mission is just the start of a program that aims to return people to the moon. Getting this first mission off the ground to test the rockets, spacecraft, and subsystems has been a trying endeavor. A series of issues, including a faulty sensor, a fuel leak, and severe weather have caused NASA to abandon previous launches. But the agency announced it will try again in the early hours of Monday, November 14th. The new timeline means the system could roll out to the launch pad as soon as November 4th and return to Earth on December 9th. A market in Qatar expects an influx of visitors during the World Cup this November. The market offers a unique glimpse into the country's heritage. Details to come on NTD News Today. Ukraine's national basketball team is in New York City for charity games. Mayor Eric Adams welcomed Team Ukraine players to City Hall on Tuesday. The mayor said that sports have a way of uniting a country and highlighting what a country is going through. He said that's why he came to show support. The Ukrainian coach says he was taken aback by the support they are receiving in the city. The team will play two charity games against the NYPD and FDNY. The games aim to raise money to reconstruct sports fields and complexes throughout Ukraine. The first game will be held on October 14th against the NYPD and the second will take place the following day against the FDNY. Game tickets are free with a suggested donation of $10. And in other sports news, Novak Djokovic would be welcome to play at the Australian Open if he can obtain a visa. Meanwhile, Russian and Belarusian players will also be able to compete. The only difference would be that they cannot represent Russia, uh, cannot represent the flag of Russia, uh, cannot participate in any activity such as the anthem of Russia. And, uh, and have to play as independent players under um, a neutral name. Tennis authorities banned Russian and Belarusian players from international team competitions after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but they were allowed to compete at regular tour events. The French Open and U.S. Open Grand Slams allowed them to compete as neutrals. Belarus has been used as a staging ground for Russia's invasion. Djokovic would also be eligible if he is able to overturn a visa ban as part of his deportation in January. He was kicked out of the country for not being vaccinated against COVID-19 and is barred from re-entering until 2025. 
Djokovic also missed the U.S. Open over his vaccination status. The Australian Open is scheduled to begin on January 16th. A market in Qatar offers residents and visitors insight into the country's culture and traditions. The vendors are preparing for an influx of tourists for next month's World Cup. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Sitting outside her restaurant, Mariam Almansour says her traditional meals are among the most sought after by locals and foreigners alike. A great number of soccer fans are expected to flock to Qatar to attend next month's World Cup, and Almansour is calling on international tourists to visit her restaurant. Even before the World Cup, tourists always visited my venue and ate my local dishes because they're delicious. For people coming to attend the World Cup, they will be curious to experience a new cuisine because ours is different from theirs. If God is willing, they will try our food. Al-Mansour is one of many vendors at Souk Waqif. The traditional market was built on the site of a century-old trading market on the banks of the River Valley in Qatar's capital city, Doha. We wanted to stay somewhere that was really vibrant and had culture around it, so we decided to stay in the Souk Waqif at a hotel here um, and just wanted to explore, shop, have local cuisine, um, see all of the people from, from all over Qatar and then also visitors. Described as a must-see venue by locals, the market offers a unique glimpse into the country's heritage. You can see it everywhere. There's people dressed exactly how they would be in their everyday life. You can hear lots of different languages being spoken in the market, and all of the shops are very unique. Visitors who frequent the market can shop for a variety of jewelry, rugs, and traditional perfumes, as well as herbs and spices. Spices here are varied, ranging from Arabic spices and Indian spices to Asian spices as well. It depends on the preference of the clients, whether they want it hot or mild, but generally, we have it all. They can also have a close look at different kinds of falcons and try out a board game called Aldama at the traditional gathering spot. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Navy officer father surprises his nine-year-old son during a dolphin show at the Indianapolis Zoo. The dad is stationed across the country in San Diego. Petty Officer First Class Joe Thomas hid backstage at the dolphin show while his son was on stage with the dolphin trainer. A dolphin floated in front of them in the water. The trainer announced the boy's father as a very special guest that she will bring out on stage. As the boy is distracted by the movements of the dolphin, his dad appears behind him. Thomas holds his son up as the audience applauds and cheers. The dolphins also get in on the fun. Both Thomas and his son could be seen petting dolphins after their touching reunion. The website for the Indianapolis Zoo says it's the only place in the Midwest where you can swim with dolphins. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.